guys, welcome or welcome back to Criminal Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Jade, and I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It means the absolute planet Earth to me. Um, I can see, like, on the little statistics of, like, people that listen, of, like, where you guys are from, and it's so interesting that, like, people actually listen to my voice. I would have never thunk, like, no, I don't know, but, um, there have been people, well, besides America, um, like, California, and Georgia, and where else? Oh my god, I forgot. Utah, did I say Washington already? Washington's one of them, and also my home country of England, whoop whoop, um, and Poland, um, Mongolia, Indonesia. Thank you guys so much. It absolutely means the world to me. And yes, if you didn't know, I'm from England. I just don't have an accent anymore because I moved to a different country when I was eight. It absolutely sucks, but I do have the accent still. So yeah, thank you guys so much. It absolutely makes my heart swell in a very healthy way that you guys actually listen to this podcast and that you guys enjoy it. Or not, if you don't, that, that's <laughs> that's fine. But thank you guys so much for listening. It means the absolute planet Earth to me. So, today's case is about the Rogers family who left their home state of Ohio for the first time and would never come back alive. So, let's get started. The Rogers family consists of Hal and Joanne Rogers. They dated in high school and got married shortly after. In 1971, Joanne was pregnant with her first child named Michelle, born on February 22, 1972, and Christy on October 2, 1974. Joanne was an outgoing, sociable person, and Hal, he was more shy, laid-back, and he liked to just observe people. Joanne would always bring him out of his comfort zone and take him dancing and listening to country music. The two of them were completely different people, but as the saying goes, opposites do attract. Michelle, the oldest daughter, was much like her father. She was very shy and very observant of other people. She enjoyed being around her really close friends, going to parties, drinking beer, and smoking cigarettes. Christy was more popular. She was a cheerleader, and she was much more sociable and always cheerful. Both Michelle and Christy had a love for animals because their parents owned a dairy farm, and they all grew up on the farm. Both Joanne and Hal were really hardworking people. They, like I said, had their very own dairy farm, and it's a no-days-off type of job. It's 365 days a year. Joanne also worked at a distribution center for health and beauty products, where she drove a forklift and worked on the assembly line. Joanne was pretty much overworked and exhausted from being a mother to working late at night and then having a farm to run the next morning. Um, She did, of course, try to stay positive as much as possible, Um, She would help her husband with milking the cows after taking care of the girls and sending them off to school. The two would always go into town to eat breakfast together just to take a break from work and just to breathe a little bit. Hal had a brother named John Rogers. He was described as a very strange man. No one really ever had anything good to say about him. He was always wearing army fatigues and claimed to have done secret missions with the CIA, which I feel like 
it's never a good thing to claim you've done secret missions with the CIA. I don't know, I'm not with the CIA. He was then arrested for raping his ex-girlfriend. They broke up, but his ex-girlfriend was still staying in his trailer until she found a place to stay. She told the police that when she was walking back to the trailer, she was ambushed by a man wearing a mask. He handcuffed her and blindfolded her. She recognized that it was her ex right away just by his voice. He threatened her with a knife and then raped her. And she told the police that the entire time he was just recording, I just, I don't know, just to like get off from it, with it, I don't know, but he would record them. The police got a warrant to search his trailer and found pictures and videos of teenage girls naked, blindfolded, and on the videos, they were screaming, pleading for him to stop. The pictures and the audio from the recording was his very own niece, Michelle, who he was molesting since she was 14, and of course the parents were absolutely shocked and devastated because it happened right under their nose. Joanne Rogers and her two daughters were going to be going on vacation in Florida for the first time, and it would be their first time that they would be leaving their home state of Ohio. Hal thought it would be a really good idea if they all had a girl's trip, you know, just to take a break and he would stay behind and keep the farm running. They were planning their vacation for weeks, they were super, super excited, and they would go sightseeing, um, going to SeaWorld, Jacksonville Zoo, Disney's MGM Studios, and so many other places. On May 26, 1989, they left around noon. They drove on I-75 heading south, going through Kentucky, Tennessee, and Georgia. They stopped in Georgia, staying in a hotel for the night, and then starting the second part of the trip the next day. The trip was a total of eight hours. When they first arrived in Florida, they went to the Jacksonville Zoo. For the next four days, they would go sightseeing, driving, just letting loose and just having a good time. On June 1st, they decided to stay another day and left Orlando and headed for Tampa to go to Bush Gardens. In Tampa, they were going to be staying at the Days Inn Motel, but they got lost and pulled over to look at the map. A man approached them in the car. The man asked if they were lost and he saw that their license plate was from Ohio and figured that they were actually lost. He too was from Ohio so they could easily talk about that. He could make a conversation and make them feel comfortable around him I would say because they're from the same place. Joanne told the man that she was lost and told him about the days in motel and if he could help her. He wrote down the directions on the map. Then he told them that he owns a boat if they would like to come out and watch the sunset this evening on the boat. The daughters thought that that was a really nice idea. On a piece of paper, Joanne wrote the directions that she would use to meet the man back at the boat, which was two miles away. She wrote the description of the boat, and she wrote blue w slash WHT, which means blue with white. After they checked into the hotel, they promised to meet the man back up. Once they got settled into their hotel room, they took pictures of the Tampa Bay sunset and a picture of Michelle in her bathing suit 
with shorts just sitting on the floor, you know, just for memories. The sun began to set late in the evening, so it was assumed that they boarded the boat at around 8.30 to 9. And, I mean, I don't know if that time is correct, because at 9 it's like pitch black dark outside, but it is June, so I'm not really sure. But they went to go see the sunset on the boat. On June 4th, 1989, several people were on a boat when they all spotted something in the water that looked a little strange to them. They got closer and realized that it was a body. The people on board notified the Coast Guard and they got a rescue boat out to the area. The Coast Guard crew tried their best to pull the body out of the water, but the body wouldn't budge. A rope tied to a 30-pound concrete block had been tied around the neck weighing the body down. They had to cut the rope in order to pull the body up. They then got a second call that a second body was discovered in the water, two miles north of the first body at the St. Petersburg Pier. While the Coast Guard was recovering the second body, they got another call saying a third body had been found about 200 yards east of the second body. All three females were weighed down with a 30-pound concrete block attached to a rope around their neck. Each of the victims was floating facing down, with their hands tied behind their backs, their mouths were taped with duct tape, and they were all naked from the waist down. The police couldn't identify the victims because none of them had any form of ID on them. They were then taken to the medical examiner's office in St. Petersburg, and it was determined that they had been in the water between three to five days. Because it was June, it's in Florida, the water was really, really hot, causing the bodies to decompose faster than if it was in cold water. Their bodies started to bloat, creating gas, which made them float to the top with the block floating up with them. Investigators asked researchers at the University of South Florida to analyze the currents for the time the victims died, and they found out that they entered the bay in the middle of the ocean, not the bridge or the shoreline, so whoever did this had a boat to drop them off in the middle. On June 8th, four days after the bodies were found, a housekeeper at the Days Inn Motel in Tampa told her manager that the room was untouched. The guest that checked into the room on June 1st was a mother and her two daughters. And their belongings were still on the floor, the beds were untouched, and nothing in the room was used. On the news, it was reported that three bodies were found in the Tampa Bay, and the manager started to figure things out, kind of like connect the dots, when she realized that she hadn't seen that the three of them since they arrived. Police went to the motel and were told that the room was registered to Joanne Rogers and her two daughters, Michelle and Christy. Hal Rogers called the police in Ohio and reported them missing three days after they were supposed to come back. The police in Florida got in contact with Hal Rogers and asked, for his wife and daughter's dental records, and it was confirmed that it was Joanne Rogers, Michelle, and Christy Rogers. The autopsy revealed that all three victims had water in their lungs, meaning that they were alive when they were thrown into the water. Because they were found naked from the waist down, it 
could meant to them that they were sexually assaulted, but the bodies were decomposed pretty badly, so it was hard to tell if they were sexually assaulted or not, but it is believed that they were. Any other forensic evidence was washed away. Fingerprints, fibers, hair, and any other important evidence was all gone. As when a family is murdered or a wife is murdered, they right away look at the husband. Joanne and her daughters were supposed to be back on June 3rd, and police found it weird that Hal waited three days before he reported them missing. They talked to Hal and they described him as a cold man that showed no emotion after hearing what happened to his wife and kids. But Hal was always like that. He didn't like to show emotion and you know, maybe you just don't want to cry in front of people. You never know how people are going to react to hearing different things. Some people might bust out crying. Some people might hold it all in together and just wait till they're by themselves and just start crying. But of course, Hal was absolutely devastated by the, the news. I mean, it's his entire family, but he kept it together when talking to the police. His wife, Joanne, always cooked for him. So since she was on vacation and he didn't cook, he would go to a local restaurant to eat three times a day and multiple people saw him there, so they ruled him out. Investigators went to locate the Rogers family car. They found the car parked at the public boat launch a mile from the Days Inn Motel. Inside, detectives found two different sets of directions with two different handwritings, one on the map and the other one on the Days Inn Motel stationery pad. They got samples of Joanne, Michelle, and Christie's handwriting and determined that the handwriting on the Days Inn stationery pad was Joanne and the other handwriting on the map with the directions to the motel was neither Michelle or Christy. Joanne had written blue with white, which led investigators to believe she was writing down the, the description of the boat, and they believed that whoever gave her directions was the same person that killed them. A tip came into the police, saying that there was a man running an unlicensed business offering tourists Sunset Cruises, and the man owned a blue and white boat. The man's name was James Wilcox. They ran a background check on him and found out that he did time for aggravated assault. And on his boat, he had concrete blocks, but he denied having anything to do with the murders. Because of no physical evidence, they couldn't get a court order for the sample of his handwriting. Two weeks before the murders, a 24-year-old Canadian woman named Judy Blair told the police that a man with a blue and white boat had invited her and her friend on a boat ride to watch the sunset. She took up the offer, but her friend declined. While out on the boat, the man said that he would kill her if she didn't have sex with him. She said that she told him she was a virgin, and he got really excited about that. He then rapes her and tells her that it's not worth getting murdered over. After raping her, he then threw up over the boat, and investigators thought maybe, you know, he was so excited he couldn't contain anything, or that he was so physiologically disgusted with himself that he had to throw up. And this is odd, because I've never heard of someone threatening to kill someone, then rapes them, and then throws them up. I don't throws them up. Did I just say that throws them up? Sorry, 
and then throws up. I've never heard of that. But when it became nighttime, he drove the boat near the shore and told the girl to get off the boat and swim. She took a shower before she went to the police, so there was no DNA recovered. She described the man to be in his mid to late 30s, white, about 5'10", 180 pounds, with sandy blonde hair and a mustache. They distributed the sketch everywhere, but there were no leads. Jason was eliminated as a suspect in both cases. He took a polygraph test and passed, and he also had an alibi. With no new leads or anything from the composite sketch, they turned to the handwriting. The man wrote Courtney Campbell Causeway, RT, 60 days in. A forensic document examiner said that the letter T was particularly capitalized in the middle of the word and the letter Y was written differently four times. Several years ago, they came up with this idea for all of Tampa to see, and it was that they were going to put up billboards around the area in hopes of someone recognizing the handwriting. It was kind of like a long shot. I mean, you kind of want to think that this is going to help you, but at the same time, you're like, ah, no one's ever going to stop to look at the billboard and see this handwriting. So they put up five billboards with handwritten directions and the question, And the question was, who wrote these directions? You may know who killed the Rogers family. $25,000 reward. Police get a call from a woman named Joanne Steffi, who said that she recognizes the handwriting as a aluminum contractor that she once hired. She told them that his name was Oba Chandler, and she even had the receipt with his handwriting to prove that it was a match. They compared the receipt handwriting to the directions handwriting and saw that it was the exact same handwriting. Oba Chandler lived only one mile from the boat launch where the Rogers family car had been found. When police went to question him, he denied any involvement with the murders. They tracked down his cell phone records and saw the calls he made when he was on the boat. Oba had called his wife from his boat after raping Judy and the Rogers murders. He would always make up an excuse about having engine troubles with the boat as to why he would be coming home late. The calls were evidence that showed he was on the boat the same time of both the rape and the murders. So he was arrested on September 24th, 1992. Oba Chandler was born on October 11, 1946, in Cincinnati, Ohio. He was the fourth of five children to his parents, Oba Chandler Sr. and Margaret Johnson. When he was 10 years old in 1957, his father hanged himself in the basement. At his funeral, it was reported that he jumped into his father's grave as they were covering it with dirt. He has 13 children with 12 different women. He was arrested 20 times as a juvenile for stealing, and as he got older, he started doing different crimes such as having counterfeit money, kidnapping, burglary, and armed robbery. He was also accused of masturbating while watching a woman through her window. Oba and one of his accomplices once broke into a couple's home, held them at gunpoint, and robbed them. His accomplice tied the man up and took the woman into the bedroom, where he made her strip down to her underwear, tied her up, and rubbed the barrel of the revolver 
on her stomach? That is a whole question mark. I don't really know the reason for that, but that, that was weird. Police got in contact with Judy from Canada. Once she arrived, they showed her a series of different men, asking if she recognized the one that raped her. She pointed to Oba. They then did a lineup of the six men, and again, she pointed out Oba. They then wanted to look at his boat for any evidence, but he told them that he sold the boat, which proved that he sold the boat to get rid of any evidence of the rape and murders. The police needed more on Oba to really prove that it was him. They tested the map that he wrote on for fingerprints. It had Joanne's Rogers prints and found a really clear palm print that didn't belong to anyone else in the Rogers family. They then compared it to Oba's handprint and it was a match. Oba's trial started in the summer of 1994 in Clearwater, Florida. In his testimony, he said that he met the Rogers women when they were sitting in their car looking at a map. He figured they were lost and gave them directions to the Days Inn Motel. He said he never saw the women again other than on the billboards and on the news. He said that yes, he was on the boat the night of the murders, but he was alone. He said that he got home late because the engine wouldn't start. He assumed that it was a gas leak. He said that he called the Coast Guard and the Marine Patrol, but they were, quote, too busy to help. Which I've never heard of. That's like calling 911 and they say they're too busy to come and help you. It was like, okay, that that's a lie, Oba. So he repaired the engine with duct tape and headed back to shore. Turns out he was lying once again. Records show that Oba never called the Coast Guard or the Marine Patrol. According to the boat mechanic that testified for the prosecution, Oba's alleged gas leak was not plausible because I know nothing about boats, so we're just going to imagine this. But from what I was able to gather, it wasn't plausible because the fuel line in the boat was facing upwards, meaning if there was a gas leak, it would spray into the air and the gas would have dissolved the duct tape that he used to supposedly cover the leak. Rather than if it was facing down, it would of course spray into the water. So that was another lie that uh, Oba got caught in. Judy Blair testified against Oba. The prosecutions told the similarities that happened to Judy and the Rogers women, and the, the events leading up to the incidents. They were all tourists, Oba approached them, and then invited them to go on his boat for a sunset cruise. On the boat, he threatened to duct tape Judy's mouth, and then raped her, and then duct taped the Rogers woman's mouth, and then murder them. Earlier when I was talking about Judy's incident, she was with her friend, but her friend refused to go. Her friend's name is Barbara, and maybe because she declined to go, Oba chose not to kill Judy, because he knew that Barbara would have easily been able to identify him. If she went with Judy, most likely, Oba would have killed the both of them. In late 1989, around the time the composite sketch was drawn that Judy Blair helped with, Oba left Tampa and went to Ohio, where he's from. He didn't even tell his wife that he was leaving, and he just randomly 
visited one of his children. Remember, remember, he has 13 kiddos. He visited one of his children named Crystal Sue Mays, and she testified in court against her father, saying that her father admitted to her and her husband, Rick Mays, that he raped a woman in Tampa and killed three others. Oba told her that the police were looking for him and that he was scared to return back to Tampa. It's also said that Christy and her father never had a good relationship. She barely ever saw him and was absolutely frightened when he just randomly showed up. I mean, can you imagine your parents or just like your parent visiting you? And it's like, uh, what are you, what are you, what are you doing here? You didn't call. You just randomly showed up. And then they tell you that they raped and murdered someone. The silence is so loud and the sound of crickets is even louder because how do you react to that? Would you be like, get out of my eyesight, get out of my presence, or do you just play it cool, calm, and collective? Because if they murdered someone, you know that they would do the same to you if you freak out. Is it better um, to, like, have them tell you what they did, or is it better to find out? And I don't think really anyone is better than the other. I think it's just worse having someone you know, whether that's your friend or family, telling you that they raped and murdered someone that... Uh, I would lock myself in the bathroom. I would... I would run... I don't... I don't know. I really don't know. I would love to know how you guys would react to a situation like that. On September 24th, 1994, a jury found Oba Chandler guilty of the murders of Joanne Rogers, Michelle Rogers, and Christy Rogers. Everyone on the jury also voted for the death penalty, and Oba was officially sentenced to death on November 4th, 1994. After 17 years on death row, he was put to death by lethal injection. On November 17, 2011, at 65 years old. And his last words were, quote, Kiss my red rosy ass. End quote. On February 15, 2014, investigators revealed that DNA evidence identified Oba Chandler as the murderer of Ivalice Burios. He was raped and strangled in Coral Springs, Florida on November 27, 1990. Ivelisse was 20 years old and a newlywed. She was last seen at the Sawgrass Mill Mall at the sporting goods store where she worked. When she didn't return home, her husband went to the mall and found her car with the tires slashed. It's believed Oba was watching her for some days. He slashed her tires, then acted like a stranger just wanting to help. Three, ho- three hours after she was reported missing, her body was found under a, under a residential mailbox in a local neighborhood. She was naked and had ligature marks on her wrist and legs. And this case is um, solved and closed, even though they figured out that Oba Chandler was the killer after he died. Joanne, Michelle, and Christy were buried in Wilshire, Ohio on June 13, 1989. 
around 300 family members and friends that came to give their respects to the family. Hal Rogers still runs a farm, but switched from cows to pigs. The farm means more to him now than it did years ago, and feels the need to keep the farm running in memory of them. He says he still has these very strong memories of his family alongside him in the barn, snuggling up the animals and making them laugh. Hal remarried in 1998. Her name is Jolene. She's also from Wilshire and has a family farm as well. Jolene was also a widow, so she knows what it's like to lose a family member, but she says the pain Hal has experienced is something that she says she'll never be able to understand. Hal says he is happy to have another partner in his life where they can sit and enjoy breakfast and talk about things other than the farm, because you can only have the same conversation with pigs so many times after all. That is the end of today's story. Oba Chandler is also known as one of Florida's most notorious criminals, which I find crazy because Florida itself is known for notorious criminals. Um, I used to live in Florida, and once I left, I realized how many infamous killers kill people like where I used to live, like Eileen Warnos and Oba Chandler. Well, he moved where I used to live. Um, he didn't kill anyone, but... To me, it's the same kind of, <laughs> it's the same thing. Um, yeah, I feel like I can't name any other state that does executions. Like, yes, there are states that do executions. Um, but I, I feel like Florida is the, the state of executions. Like, every criminal I know that stays at Florida State Prison is dead. Just dead. All lethal injection. That, just dead. They even have executed 99 people, and the latest one was on August 2019. So, do you see what I mean by Florida is the capital for executions? It's the Sunshine State and the Execution State. There's even a whole Wikipedia page on it. But this story is absolutely heartbreaking. Um, I mean, all this family wanted was a family vacation for the first time just to get away from the farm life and enjoy themselves because they truly deserved it. And someone took that as an opportunity and took their lives, all because they wanted to see the sunset. And that was an opportunity for some sick bastard. I do want to mention that none of the women were blindfolded. They did have duct tape on their mouth. So when they were thrown into the water, they saw what was happening to each other. And that has got to be so painful. I mean, seeing a loved one in the same situation as you and knowing that you there's nothing that you can do to help them. It's it's a tragedy. God, my eyes my eyes literally get watery every single case that I cover. Oof. Wow, but do not take boat rides from strangers, not even if they ax, you know, not even if they're like Let's watch the sunset on the boat. It's magical. Tell them that you can see the sunset right from where you're standing. And no ma'am. No ma'am. If you're on vacation, be safe and be alert because there are preys, predators, whatever you call them, that can tell if you're new, you know, because of the way you act, the way you walk and stuff like that. 
Act like you mean business. Act like you know what you're doing and you know where you're going, even if you're lost. Because no one is going to approach you because they're like, oh yeah, that's a woman on a mission. Um, you you got to think like the killers and rapists and kidnappers. It's sad to say, but it is vital for everyday life. Even if you're in Walmart, walk fast. Walk like a crazy person. So some tips that I have learned um, from traveling with my mom and sister is <laughs> we walk like 500 miles per hour we walk like a woman on a mission and the mission is to not get targeted by anyone man woman child no no because i feel like when you're so into true crime you think everything is a trap like this child is talking to me because he's like hmm let's go find my mommy and the next thing you know you're kidnapped no 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 next um, thing that my mom told me is to wear sunglasses so no one knows when you're staring at them because people do like to stare so just put your glasses on and just look out for every single person another thing I do is when men feel this need to approach me um, I act like I don't know what language they're speaking um, a lot of people come up to me and speak Spanish um, because of how I look. A lot of people think that I'm like from Mexico or something, but I don't speak Spanish. Um, but either way, whatever language they come up to you in, just act like you can't comprehend anything. Act like you don't speak a lick of English or Spanish or any other language out there. Just, just, just don't be like, uh, mm, uh, mm, nope, have no idea what you're talking about. I was listening to a Crime Junkie episode about Fireball Operation, which was absolutely scary, and they said, be weird, be rude, and stay alive. And when my mom and sister go anywhere, I text it to them, because that's literally what you have to do to survive in this world. Ten times more if you are a woman. You have to literally have eyes at every single part of your head, and it's, it's crazy. So be weird, be rude and stay alive as crime junkie says i would love to know what you guys think of today's episode thank you so much for listening it means the absolute planet earth stay tuned for next week's episode that comes out every thursday and i've never mentioned this for some odd reason but you can request any case that spark your interest on my instagram at criminal curiosity pod where you can also see the pictures of the case behind the scenes or just to keep up with what's going on and I will also be making a Gmail account for you guys to send me any case suggestions. If you don't have an Instagram or you don't like Instagram at all, I understand. Oh yeah, so you can send me your case suggestions if you want. Because I try not to go on Instagram or just social media in general because it gives me a headache. Wink, wink, wink. This is your sign to suggest some cases to me to help a gal out you know it's just me i get lonely and i have no friends so i would love to talk about more cases with you guys and gals no rephrase that gals and guys um this podcast is available on all podcast platforms such as spotify apple and google Podcasts. if you listen to this on apple you can leave a review 
down below because that means a lot. If you don't listen to this on Apple, you can always hit me up in <laughs> hit hit me up in my DMs. I sound like boys from school when I was in high school. But yeah, you can hit me up in my DMs or email me. I'm into emailing as well. Um, I just want to know, like, what are the things you guys like? What are the things you don't like? Any suggestions? Because we take that as cons con con what constructive criticism, and it would mean a lot. And I want actual friends. So yeah, and please be safe out there. Look out for one another. Until next time. Bye, everyone.